Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Today I'm excited. I've got a special guest, Dr. Larry Purcell, who's with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, uh, was my faculty chair at uh, SEBITS, that's Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, when I was doing my D-Men work, and uh, is uh, coming to be with us here in March at Grace Baptist Church for our Bible conference. And that Bible conference is on conflict in the local church. And being a uh, retired Marine, you are somewhat the guru on conflict and a go-to guy there I know in Kentucky and have been real helpful with us in our classes there at, at D-Men. So we're going to talk about the anatomy of a conflict, and uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate it too, Pastor, the uh, opportunity to speak and, and to speak to a larger uh, audience as well, too, about a, a very critical subject in a world that is quite divided today. Yeah, I, I think we're at a time, I would I would probably say, you know, I watched, um, I've been watching some of these Democratic um election uh, where they're trying to assess out who's going to be the candidate and the debate yeah Yeah. and uh, i won't make this a political commentary but i'll say this uh, i feel like our country may be one of the most divided and i think that seeps over into the church and so conflicts are just so common now outside the body and now inside the body in the local church you think that's right yeah, I think what we're looking at is we have, uh, and Alvin Tovler said it in 1990, he said we back then, just think of that, 1990, how long ago that was, and he's the prognosticator who said in 1980, because of the personal computer, we would be able to have more free time. 1990, 10 years later, uh, in his studies, he said we have become more high-tech and more low-touch, and the more high-tech we become, the more low, t- uh, low touch we will be. And as a result of that, we're becoming more tribalistic. We're finding our domain, our party. Uh, and uh, if you don't agree with me, uh, tribalism uh, teaches us, if you don't agree with me, I come after you. And, uh, and so we have a lot of violence today. Uh, we don't have discussions. Uh, we, we have acts of violence, and it goes that way. I mean, beep your horn at somebody, and uh, and you can uh, go into a full-scale uh, conflict. Or if you were to even frown at somebody, people mm-hmm. today, uh, if you're standing at, you know, I don't know if you have this problem or not, I can go to the store and find the shortest line, and then all of a sudden, the person right in front of me says, we need a price check, and the next thing you know, you're there for the next 30, 40 minutes. And if you don't smile about that, then uh, you can almost get into a full-scale fight there just by your look. Yeah, it certainly feels more tense. I mean, I've, I've only been in the ministry since about 2001, 2002, and I, I think that the church is definitely more, I want to say, not at ease in the culture. You know what I mean? They're, the the sheep are skittish, I guess is the best way to describe it. And it doesn't... Well, take this too, Travis, with the issue of us today, uh, more churches are asking for safety, security, uh, training, because it, it is the shootings, but it's more than that. We've got the issue of safety. Uh, our people today feel more unsafe in a world that has uh, more opportunity to be safe. But 
Uh, I think it's just uh, it, it is uh, bleeding over into our congregations and their everyday lives. Yeah, and those those take different lines, and we're going to talk about that. But let's let's kind of break down the anatomy of a conflict in a local church. I think that'll be helpful this morning. And uh, for those of you that may be aware, we're going to be framing this today using the role renegotiation model, which I personally have found very helpful in diagnosing and, and understanding where things are in a conflict either. And, and this works in a family unit, and it also works in a church, and we'll try to describe in both, but mainly stick to a church. So um, you got to go back to the beginning and the start of any relationship to understand a conflict in it. And when we're talking about churches that are in conflict, uh, with the amount of churches we have in church revitalization that are in need of revitalization, uh, conflict is a regular part of the life of that church. I think the first step we have to talk about is developing expectations for the pastor and the congregation. Uh, Do you agree with that? I do. I think one of the issues we find, and and, uh, one of the areas I've taught, and I I didn't come into this because I thought I would uh, come into it. I fell into it. I I came out of the military. Uh, In the military, we have well-defined roles. Everything from the lowest private, who's brand new, has a set of role expectations, and he's a part of a team. And as a team member, he functions on that team in such a way that he is uh, able to know his role and the small group that he's with, their role. Well, that goes true all the way up to the highest gym. And yet in the church, when I got into it, I began to find out there is no real role clarity. Uh, every church is different. Now, I'm a church consultant with Kentucky Baptist Convention now. One of the things I find interesting that I work with churches in uh, far western Kentucky from uh, an area of 500 plus churches that I'm working with regularly. And in that, most of those churches, whenever we run into conflict, this is the expectation. The pastor comes in, and in my dissertation, when I did my PhD, I did uh, uh, the idea of that relates similar to this too, Travis, is that I found a discrepancy in Baptist circles because our Baptist polity is. We form a team. The team goes out and searches for a pastor, pastor search team or pastor search committee. They find somebody. They say, hey, here's what we're wanting. Here's what we desire. Here's what we're looking for. And he thinks he has a set of role clarity expectations. Uh, And then he comes into the church and there's a different group, elders, deacons, a lay committee. uh, It could be. But their expectations are totally different. I found in uh, Kentucky when I looked at this and I looked at a small group in Illinois, Southern Illinois and Northwest Tennessee, I found out that the hiring committee, the search team, their expectations were very low on the bar of expectation. The highest one being that you hang in there, you know, that they have perseverance. And then it went to the deacons and their expectations were right at perfection, 4.98 out of a, a possible one to five. And, uh, and the guy comes in and he finds out the hiring committee saying one thing, the firing committee saying something else. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you find that one of the first things you need to do, and I try using that at times, don't, don't read what's on a paper or what the committee says to you. What you need to do is look at that and then meet with various age groups various leadership groups and ask them the question, what do you see my role as a pastor coming in doing? That way it kind of gives you a better idea. It doesn't mean you buy what they say or you agree with it in some way. You just kind of understand where you're starting. Right. 
And then uh, we move forward from the uh, developing expectations and commitment. Uh, for a church, this will be usually in Baptist life, uh, an extension of a call. Uh, and the church will do that by having the candidate come in preach. And then a lot of times they will they will take a vote. I, I've never received 100%. I don't imagine I ever will. <laughs> Even in a church of eight or nine people, I couldn't get 100%. So I've given up on that. But um, And then the pastor must commit. He must receive that call. He must accept that call. Uh, let's talk about this step and what's kind of critical in the commitment phase there. Sure. Uh, I, I think part of the commitment phase is what we were just talking about a minute ago, and it's going to get the opportunity to say uh, the ability to meet with various groups. Before I've taken churches, and I didn't do this in the beginning, but as I've gone along and uh, as I have uh, felt in some ways maybe uh, betrayed or, or not uh, some way been honest with me about some things, I, I like to have a Q&A with the entire congregation, but I also like to meet with deacons, I like to meet with the staff, I like to meet with various groups of population in a church before I'll say yes and they say yes. Uh, that gives me an opportunity to say, I want you to know who I am and how I think and how I operate. And that way we start building relational commitment because one of the biggest aspects of commitment is they don't know who you are. They're going to compare you to the last guy or to their favorite guy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not unusual for a traditional church that I go in and ask them. Uh, when I go to the senior adults, I say, what do you expect? You know what they say. It's typical stuff when you start hearing this. And, and what you're talking about is they'll say, uh, I, I'd like to have a pastor who uh, meets with us, who goes places with us as a group, who visits us in the nursing home, the hospitals, or the shut-ins. Uh, when you talk to young couples, though, they're going to say things on this side. You know, what about the nursery? What about child care? What about safety for my child and such? And, and what I've tried saying to them at times, that's going to be the place we begin making the next step, productivity and stability. That's going to be where I begin. I see it. They see it. Now I can commit to that. Yeah. And then I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one because I want to spend more time on the next stage, but productivity and stability is the next step. This is commonly referred to as the honeymoon period for a pastor in a church because it's 80% productivity and only 20% relationship maintenance. But there's a catch, right? You're just leading from position more than you're leading from person because you're still new, right? Right, right. I think one of the issues there, and you mentioned it earlier, John Maxwell has a book on uh, and it deals with the issue of power, where power resides. And you just mentioned it. It resides in, in position, pastoral authority. They call a pastor in a typical Baptist church. They expect him to lead. He gets in trouble if he doesn't. Uh, he gets a little gun shy because many times when he is leading, he's got some saying, well, I want to change, but not that kind of change. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's critical. I call this my 90 day, but my first year. Because uh, I get asked this question as a professor of the years I taught at Southern Seminary and at Southeastern Seminary. I would uh, get questions on how fast do you lead change? And some say we never make any change the first year. That can be true in some cases. I'm not criticizing that at all when I make my comment. My comment is you need to find out what is the degree. And the statement I use often is to the degree that a congregation perceives a need. 
They power the leader to lead change. Yeah, you know, we uh, we recently recorded an episode on the life cycle of a church, and I think that one of the things that the leader must know is where the church is on the life cycle. So I would argue it would take a lot more, it'd be a lot diff, more difficult to lead at a plateau and, and put immense changes in at a plateau than it is towards the latter part of decline nearing death. You know, there's a real sense of urgency there. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're right. And that's what we're looking for in productivity and stability is uh, what is the urgency? Uh-huh. A lot of churches that we're in today that I'm working with, there are several that I'm working with. Uh, there's a lot of healthy ones, but I'm working with some that they're in a plateaued decline position and they don't see that as a problem because they're okay. Uh, yeah. And somehow we have to be able to communicate that to them during the honeymoon period. That's right. So you need to try to leverage that to get some good leadership initiatives in place. Well, let's move into the conflict now that we've kind of dived into the anatomy. We have to have those foundational things to understand what happens next. And that is a pinch. Now, a pinch can be intentional. So it could be the pastor did this on purpose because they didn't like somebody. They didn't go see him in the hospital or whatever, or some other issue. Or it can be unintentional. Maybe the pastor mixed up the days that the surgery was going to be and missed a surgery appointment or, you know, and uh, it, or they could maybe make promises in the gathering information stage and get in there and realize, oh, I don't think I can do this. Or the church maybe makes promises to the pastor. Uh, we'll pay your health care. We'll do whatever. And then that doesn't happen. And so a pinch happens. And let's talk about what happens in a pinch and then what, what kind of flows from that. Sure. Well, you know, this is where conflict is. We're finding out now that we have a different view of the same thing. Because sometimes a pastor can look at something fresh eyes. They ask him to come in with fresh eyes. And then when he comes in, he says, this ministry is not being productive. Now you've created a problem because all of a sudden, that could be a sacred cow. It could be something somebody has owned for a long time, Mm -hmm. and they're refusing to do anything about it. That's where the pinch comes, is where they resist the leader, and yet he's in this point, and I I hear some say this at times, and this is where personality plays in it a lot. Uh, I know you, and you know me. We're both very high on the disc. We're very high Ds. Uh, because I am a high D, I have people say, well, that's what we need. You know, So you come in, and uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about on disc, is I'm very direct. I don't have a lot of filters on my mouth when it comes to things, and I'm not talking about cursing or any of that. I'm just saying, this is not working, folks. We need to do something with it. And, uh, and I, I've been in rooms at times to where I just think I just set off a bomb in here or something, you know, because I'm getting shocked to looks like, what do you mean it's not working? And, and I'm going, well, that's why you asked me to come. It's not working. Here's the data. Data doesn't change direction. Uh-uh. Data can become something that helps you. And what I try to talk about in the uh, pinch at times is, you remember those uh, under commitment and productivity. I've been having conversations. I've made some changes based on those conversations because they see it, I see it. I'm wanting to now go to those same people and say, I need you to see this with me. I need you to look at this, and I need you to tell me. And what I find in the pinch a lot of times is I need to be able to build a good team around me And I need to have some folks that I can bring into this so that I see it, they see it. And many times during this, that period of time too, Travis, a lot of people that will not listen to me 
will listen to one of these other leaders, not me. So you're going to have to kind of like borrow leadership from established leaders in, in this area sometimes to get out of it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and, and in, the, in the military, we call them teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of churches in our, our, our areas uh, are developing what they call teams. Too often, it's not a team, it's a group. A team means we have a shared common vision. We're moving in the same direction, and we're here to accomplish something. Uh, not here to protect the institution or uh, a building or a program. We're here to protect the gospel and to communicate the gospel. Yeah. And then in the pinch there, you, you touched on this. There's a lot of times disruption of expectations, role confusion, and apathy if the, the pinch is not discussed. If it's not in a, in a healthy scenario, you would want the pastor of the church to sit down and revisit those expectations and then move forward from there. But unfortunately, a lot of our churches, just like human relationships, fall on the unhealthy side. And I think anxiety will develop, feelings of frustration will develop, uh, particularly if, you know, the pastor is pinching the church or if the church is pinching the pastor and one party doesn't know that they're doing that to the other one. And so uh, eventually it happens to where you have something that I don't think any leader truly wants necessarily, but we'll call it a crunch. And let's talk about what a crunch is and what happens afterwards now. Sure. Now, what my thing is, uh, and I talked about the team earlier, uh, what I try to do with me, because I know I am very driven, I put around me some men who are not just like me. Now, some are high Ds, but they, they're more detailed than I am, or they see the details. Uh, one team I, I've been a part of, uh, I, I'm, and I'm talking about non-staff persons here, as advisors, they're not voting or anything, but they are folks uh, in, in places I've been or accountants, they led businesses or large farm operations, 15, 20,000 acre farms. And so they're used to big ideas and they're used to details and uh, looking at those things. I have that team around me uh, that helps me. Something else I try doing in that as well is encourage pastor search teams because you've been empowered to bring in someone. You've shared what some expectations are. I say for the first year, you should meet with that guy uh, your pastor every months to four months to just say how is it going and what's not and so that way you're actually coming into the idea where are these disruptions that are happening that's leading to this crunch uh, that we have and it also opens up dialogue because the crunch the biggest issue I see in the crunch is so many pastors when you look at Barna in uh, 1998 Leaders on Leadership, he said in a study of 10,000 pastors that in there, I, I'm trying to think the number was, I think it was 96, 94% of all those looked at said they're not a leader, but they're in a leadership position. That's, but they say they're preachers. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. So, yeah, terrible. I don't... And in that, what you're actually saying is, what is their response often when they run into this kind of thing in the crunch? They withdraw. Mm-hmm. They become very focused in their own area or they feel like people are attacking them. And so we reach this cycle of every three to five years uh, turnover. Now let's, let's make a point of clarity because I think we need to say this. I don't see, you know, I pastor of a church of about 200 
I've always kind of been in churches about that size since I've been in full-time ministry. And this is the reality I've ran into. You can't make 200 people happy, right? I mean, not, not at all the time. And so when we're talking about a crunch, we're not necessarily talking about one person came into your office and, and yelled at you. We're talking yeah. more about a wider scale apathy, wider scale anxiety, wider scale feelings of instability, and wider scale feelings of role confusion. I'm I'm going to say close to half the church would be in that boat, you know, and, and so don't confuse the discontentment of a few with the whole church is this way, right? Don't you think that yeah. would be true? And I think that's well said, well said there, and a good clarification because I don't want people to get the idea either that when you go into something that if you have, and I've used this statement many a time, that I hear people say, we're two or more gathered in my name than I, you know, the Lord saying he's in the midst of it. And I said, well, we're two or more Baptists are gathered. There's two or more opinions and a conflict could break out because yeah. we don't have someone making our decisions. I'm a Southern Baptist by choice. And in that, we don't get our decisions and our sermons from Nashville. No, uh, It is that the church is autonomous and clearly functioning autonomously or independently of any other outside influence except Christ and the church membership and the pastor leader, that person that is shepherding the flock and making those kinds of decisions and then trying to draw them into a healthier uh, thing. And what's happening in your area, my area, all through traditional churches in the southeastern section of the U.S., we have a culture shift. And we are moving to a more secularized society. Yeah. I grew up in Western Kentucky. I lived in the military a long time. Uh, I have been in uh, different and various cultures. But one of the things I find unique about the Appalachian culture, as well as the rural culture of Western Kentucky along the rivers, uh, is that we're very patriotic. We mix mm-hmm. God in country. We look at several things. Well, we're, we're seeing a younger generation today, and they're sitting on the pews in our churches and our teenagers and younger uh, that do not have the same kind of expectations or desires or view perceptions of things that we do. So it is a moving, shifting culture uh, that we're a part of, and that's where these expectations, we need good guidelines that help us focus toward the gospel. I I agree, and one of the things that's uh, nice about at least Carter County where we are, and even Avery where a lot of our listeners are, we have a um, insulation from secularization because we have a general insulation from uh, the wider cultural shift. So it's coming, but we we have more time to see it coming and deal with it. Yeah. So. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about after the crunch. Uh, if you haven't had you know, been able to kind of cut it off before it blows up. So the crunch is going to be that ugly business meeting, that ugly deacons meeting, that ugly personnel committee meeting, and they usually flow into the others sometimes. Uh, if you're if you're already at a point where you've had this explosion, that's the big difference between a pinch. A pinch is kind of like everybody feels uncomfortable, but a crunch is an explosion. So you've had this explosive meeting, what is the most likely options for, uh, let's just say, the pastor or the or church members after that? Yeah, and, and uh, I, I will start first in saying that during the stage of commitment we uh, previously talked about is during that stage, soon after 
you've looked at role clarity or expectations in it, and you kind of talk about that. You meet with uh, groups. Is that you start looking at look at the history of a church? Does it cyclically go through a three to five year cycle? If it does, that should give you a, a red flag right away. Not to not go. You know they have problems. They need a leader. Uh, that's why God calls you and me and others right. into this role is because of that. The red flag is simply this to say they've got a bad habit, a bad pattern, much like a doctor does if he's looking at you or me and we say our numbers are not looking good uh, when he takes blood samples. And so he's saying, let's look at why. Uh, and asking those questions, I have built the team I talked about. I'm seeing the pattern. I've seen these cycles. I know they've identified a guy that they really loved as pastor, and he was here 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and so they haven't liked the guy since then. They've not made a connection. There's been a short-term circuit there. So I'm looking at all that stuff ahead of time. I'm building a team, and I'm trying to educate that team. So when I come to the crunch time, this is critical. And, and this is the time that too many have not laid the groundwork for the next level. They should already be thinking about best practices. They should already be thinking about those that they can share those best practices with first. And many times, it's not just your staff. You do need to share it with them. If you have a multi-staff, whether it's paid or bivocational or it's volunteer, you still need to be honoring to them and doing it. But I want to sit down with some lay people that have grown there that have the uh, street cred I don't have, and, uh, and they can talk about those things. And in doing that, it helps me build a better argument so I don't get catapulted out of there just like the last guy did. Yeah. Well, in you know, in the Bible, we have some examples of some crunch meetings. I think of the Old Testament when um, King Solomon's son took over after Solomon's death. Northern tribes came down and said, if you will just be kind to us, we'll love you forever. And what does he say? Foolishly. <laughs> yeah, he's going to burden them. Mm. He's going to create that burden even heavier because he's the king. So. So he uses, he leverages his God-given authority wrongly. And yeah. and what's the reaction of the people? Yeah, a division. Yeah. To, to your tents, O Israel. So, you know, a lot of times you'll have a, a mute termination, a party will leave, or parties will leave in a local church, right? Uh, depending yeah. on how that works. Uh, sometimes it's going to be a forced exit. What's a forced exit for a pastor look like? Well, and this is what's sad about it is we have more and more of those happening in a forced exit. Uh, I call it active and passive. The passive side of it is, uh, a, you know, a group of people go to a pastor and say, you know, if you don't get out of here, uh, it's such and such time. Or I've even uh, known of some being offered money to leave and do that or being told, you know, you're, you're going to be pushed out if you don't. And they come against them and they push them. And so the pastor just doesn't say anything to anyone. He just leaves. Uh, he shuts down in his office. The active side of it is uh, a committee comes to him, whether it's deacons or, you know, a committee that is over that area of accountability, and they offer him a severance package and say you either leave uh, and take this or uh, we're going to bring you before the church and fire you. But actually then no one's fired. This person just leaves and goes. So in either case, we're still seeing more and more forced terminations to where they come to them and say, you're out of here. And uh, and we, we make a motion to vote you out right now, uh, and you're out of here. 
You, you know, uh, I read a study from the KBC uh, back when my wife worked there, and I'm so thankful for all the good leaders the KBC's had over the years. I mean, they had Dr. Mackey was a good guy. Uh, you know, Chitwood was really good. And who's yeah. there now? Who took Dr. his... Dr. Spock Gray is, yeah. and, uh, and he's uh, really good. Uh, and, and he's very gospel-focused, and so that, that's kind of where we're uh, seeing the, uh, the state go. But in this study, it said that, you know, top five reasons pastors are terminated. And I want to say number three was pastor led too strongly. And then number four or five was pastor didn't lead strong enough. (laughs) And so where's the right balance? You know what I mean? And that's the thing that we struggle with is sometimes people perceive by your personality. Sometimes people hear, and I, and I don't mind telling war stories at times just so I don't get verbally beat up by too many on that, is talking about, you know, I was a sniper in the Marine Corps. I, I've done, uh, you know, I've traveled, I've seen a lot, I've done a lot. And in that, you know, I, I just didn't live like some people think we do as pastors. We live in some white ivory tower and we've never experienced any kind of challenge or difficulty. Challenge is not my problem. My problem is that once we identify it, and this is where I see a lot of pastors, uh, they see the problem, others see the problem, and there's an unwillingness to do anything about that problem because they don't sense urgency. And the urgency ought to be the gospel. Yeah. The urgency is absolutely the First Corinthians 14, 40 talks about everything being done decently in order. That's not talking about an orderly uh, and decent business meeting. It's talking about we have to have the right thing first. In fact, the word that is used there in the Greek is first. Uh, you know, everything should be done first in the first priority. And then he says down in chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, that which I received first, I gave to you first, that according to Scripture, Christ was crucified he was buried according to scripture. He arose and then he appeared. It's the gospel. Everything that we are about uh, is to be about Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and the hope that we have as a result of that. And that's at a very foundational that should inform our worship, should inform how we do conflict, should inform everything and every aspect of church life. All right. Now, sometimes I think that we get into positions and situations where uh, instead of there being forced exits, churches and pastors and laity will just recommit to the original set of expectations, but without diving in and seeing what caused the pinches and the explosions in the first place. Uh, what's that look like, and what's the danger of that? Uh, well, you, you were breaking up a little bit there, I think, oh. but I think I, I have the gist of what you're talking about, is that the, the idea in the crunch, one of the best ways of handling that is I sit down, and sometimes I do this in my role as a consultant or someone else at the KBC. I brought in different people and asked Dr. Steve Rice or Miss Peggy Berry to come in, and they join, and we have kind of a, a team that comes in, so it takes the pressure off the pastor takes the pressure off of uh, some of the laity there in the church to say, here's an outside group that can come in and offer suggestions. And that's all we do. We don't, we don't tell anybody anything because we're not that kind of what is called a denomination. We are a faith order that believes a certain way and our commonality and bad faith, faith and message. But, but in this, we step in so a third party can come in offer some uh, things, but it's it's a good time when we run into these things that we understand our expectations may be needing to be adjusted. Uh, our organization is not designed well. 
uh, in doing that. And so we can renegotiate how we uh, have a church governance that supports what we're about. Structure should be something that is flexible, just like the walls in a church. If we need a bigger, you remember back in the 50s, 60s, all the buildings were built with like a 10 by 12 Sunday school room. And then in the 70s and following, we started knocking those walls out. And, and if we needed to, we put in a support beam. But we knocked them out because our structures needed to adapt to the mission of the church. That's what we're talking about here is developing structures that support that and getting sometimes an outside help, sometimes the inside help. You can find that in your uh, Southern Baptist, your state convention. There are people there to help. In our seminaries, there are people to help. Uh, I know Tom Rainer, Church Answers. There's there's folks that are out there that can help work through some of these things. And we do this for nothing. We do it as a part of what we do for cooperative program uh, in uh, the support of our churches. Because uh, we're created by churches for churches to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. Now, I know I'm not sure if the TBC offers what the KBC offers in this category, or do you know if North Carolina does? I know you worked with North Carolina Baptist some. North Carolina does, yes. Uh, they don't have the same structure we do. I'm a regional person, and so there are six of us across the state of Kentucky. Uh, you and I both, I've used Brian a lot, uh, Brian Upshaw. You know, there, There's mm-hmm. guys there that I know that uh, we can lean into at times, and they come in and help churches. Uh, with uh, transformation or, or reconciliation, and that's becoming more widespread. Texas, Oklahoma, there's other state conventions that are uh, adopting into that much, much more greatly. Okay, good. Well, let me let me kind of close with this today. I want to ask a question. Let's say that I'm a just a faithful layperson, and I'm watching. I've watched the pinches, and I've watched the explosion and the crunch. What encouragement do you have for me? What should I do now after the big crunch and explosion? How can I be a peacemaker, a peacekeeper? What are some things I can do just as a layperson in the church? Sure. Yeah, I think that's where some of the the you know the the material that's developed by Ken Sandy and Peacemaker uh, has some great ideas. But one of the first obvious things I would say is uh, pray for your church, pray for your pastor. I think that's essential, that we need to incorporate into what we do, that we seek to glorify God. What is the response I need to have? Uh, anytime we have anything, and this is where we're at today in our day and time, is that when somebody runs into any resistance at all, we, you know, it's like we throw a fit, like a baby does. You know, we, we start screaming and hollering, and we get angry, and we quit, we walk away. And instead, what we should be doing is employing some of the greatest strength that we have is by the Spirit of God, is let's seek to glorify God, pray for your pastor, lift him up, go talk to whoever it is that's offending you at some point, and try to work it out. Uh, a part of going to see that person in glorifying God is you want to get the log out of your own eye, though. What is my role? It's not an if. I offend somebody. Uh, I have to do this often. God has shown me that, Larry, you may be the problem sometimes, that what I need to do is go to that person and not say, if I have offended you, because that sounds artificial. But I want to say to him, I recognize, you know, that that we're not getting along. And I recognize that I have said some things that I'm sorry for. And and I want to get that right. And so it's been amazing at times to be able to have that reconciliation because 
we find in Scripture. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then once you've got that log out, then you gently restore. And then when you do that, you accept them. You stop trying to keep bringing this stuff up. I do think then once you've recognized you've got that common ground too, uh, Travis, I think one of the things we absolutely must start doing is saying, what caused this? Uh, what can we change? Yeah. And how does that need to be readapted in some way, whether it's structures or it's policy procedures or role expectations? We redefine those. That's good. And I think that's pretty good advice for the pastor as well. And I think I would say this, pastor, remember the flock is watching you and sheep by nature are sheepish. And so you don't always need to have the expectation. And I know a lot of pastor friends of mine get hurt in the middle of conflict because they don't understand why their supporters aren't standing up in the middle of the crunch and, you know, voicing for them. And it's like, well, that's a lot of times that's not the nature of your sheep your supporters. Rule the sheep. Dave Grossman said this, and he used the phrases in his writings uh, at West Point years ago, and, and uh, a good Christian man. But Dave Grossman said, "There are sheep, there are wolves, and there are sheepdog. And sheep love the sheepdog when the wolf's around, but when the wolf's not around, uh, they even get annoyed by the sheepdog all the time." <laughs> Uh, in that, so that's part of the nature of our role at times and who we are. Not to go out and to seek to be that way. I, I, I've never really had to seek to be that way uh, in that response. But but in the ability to be there, to know that God has called us, and the beauty of it is, every three to five years, you're probably going to find yourself in a crunch situation where we re, we need to renegotiate. Yeah. Don't leave. Renegotiate. Uh, if you are forced out, it's different at some point uh, in that and those are times you have to use a lot of wisdom in one thing I'll say about the Appalachian culture is I've found that there is a greater respect for pastors here than other areas of the country that I've been in and have served in even and so uh, you know I know that you may take a beating pastor out there but be encouraged Christ is still in control don't make a hasty decision after a bad meeting right Amen. amen All right. Well, I think we're out of time for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Purcell. And we look forward to seeing you here at the end of March at Grace Baptist Church. Uh, I look forward to being there. Just know we're praying for you and the fine folks there at Grace. And uh, thankful for this opportunity. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to appalachianbaptistnetwork.com at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.